Every month and a half or so, I get together with a retired priest friend of mine who has sort of seen it all and has been around in numerous parishes. And we catch up, and then he asks about various things about my church. And of course, as we talk, I eventually get to whatever it happens to be at that point that's bothering me or that I'm worried about or preoccupied by. And he'll listen to my sort of talking about this. And then eventually, very quietly, he'll usually say something like, what's your prayer around this issue? Well, usually I haven't really prayed around that issue. I've been too busy trying to fix it. I've been too busy um, asking for advice or trying to come up with a plan or a solution or doing any number of things and forgetting to ask God's help. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us a a pattern for prayer, um, a set of words to use, surely, words to store up and recall even when we forget everything else. But even more than words, even more than one particular prayer, Jesus gives us a relationship. He shows us a door. He shows us an opening. It's a way to God, a way to contact with God. In the Lord's Prayer, these words that Jesus gives us in each of the Gospels, where we're given a picture of God as a Father who cares for us and never, ever forgets us. God provides for everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who searches, finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. We talked about this last Sunday as we talked about Abraham and Sarah um, in the, the story that's, that's depicted in our icon over there to your left. Um, Abraham learned this as he opened his door, literally, as he opened his heart to these three strangers, to the angels who come to visit. Both Abraham and Sarah must have surely had their doubts about whether God listened to them anymore. But by the point of today's reading, especially, Abraham and God are like old familiar friends. Familiar friends to the point that we have in today's reading, a a kind of holy haggling as Abraham bargains with God over God's will. Now there's an enormous backstory between last week's happy story of the three angels visiting Abraham and Sarah and this week's story of Abraham and God sort of sitting at a park table and, uh, and uh, bargaining with each other. The story has to do with those three strangers and with the city of Sodom. You see, those three angels, those strangers, as they leave Abraham and Sarah, they make their way into Sodom, and they go to the house of Abraham's nephew, Lot. And Lot does like his uncle Abraham, and Lot invites them in for food and to stay. But it turns out the men of Sodom are a mean, evil bunch. They demand that the strangers be turned out to them, be given over to them, And the language is such that the men of Sodom want these three strangers to be given over to them for their sexual use. Lot, the nephew of Abraham, then does the almost unimaginable thing of protecting his guests, these angels, but instead offers his daughters to the strangers. 
And so this story is known in many biblical circles as a text of terror, especially from the standpoint of a woman. It's an awful story. It's an awful Old Testament, old, old story about lust and violence and bullying. And Lot shows himself to be no better than anybody else, really, though his daughters do get back at him at the very end. It's one of those awful old stories that sometimes we're tempted to simply wipe out of the Bible. But it's an interesting story when we think about the lineage of that word related to Sodom and sodomy. Because the point here for anyone who reads the Bible is that the sin here is a sin of inhospitality. It's a sin of not welcoming the stranger, not welcoming the foreigner. That's the sin That's the sin of the people of Sodom. Scripture teaches in Hebrews, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing it. That's what happens in this Old Testament passage. All that is an aside, but it's an important aside given the context of today's scriptures. It shows you just how mean and evil the people of Sodom could be. But Abraham is there talking to God like a trusted friend. That's what Jesus is offering us, that sort of relationship with God, where we can bargain, we can banter, we can be angry with God, like the Psalms. We can say exactly what we want and ask God to deliver. We can knock at the door. We can say hello. We can begin and enter into the conversation with God. In talking with his disciples about prayer, about knocking on the door of God's heart, Jesus uses images and sayings from his own day. He isn't doing anything all that new, really. He mentions a sleepy neighbor who might not get up for just anyone, but with persistence will nevertheless answer the door. Jesus speaks of those in his midst, those you who are evil. But I think it's important again to remember that Jesus is chatting with friends here. This is not a formal moral pronouncement. It's more like Jesus saying to his friends and those listening, look, you know who you are and you know how you are on a bad day. And so even then you wouldn't give your kid deliberately a bad thing, would you? Imagine how much more God looks after your soul. In St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, he explains just why we have this potential for a relationship with God, why we can have the confidence and the faith to walk up to the door of God's heart and to knock, to begin to ask God for help. Paul reminds us that God lives in Christ fully, totally, completely, and we have the life of God in us. Because of Christ, in Christ we were buried with him in baptism and we're raised with him above the death of sin and we will be raised like him from death itself. Paul goes on to say basically, don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are. Don't let people drag you into silly, stupid debates about this detail or that detail, about what you should pray for or how you should pray, about whether you should pray standing or kneeling or hands folded or arms spread out or standing on your head. Hold fast to Christ. That's what's important. Hold fast to Christ, the head of the church. As Paul says, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is straight from God. 
ask, knock, hold on. When I think of these scriptures, and especially today's gospel, I think of that famous painting by William Holman Hunt, that famous painting called Light of the World. It's from the 1850s, and there are several versions of it. He was Hunt was one of the pre-Raphaelites, but somehow his color is even more technicolor to me. It shows Christ as though a door has been opened, and there Christ is holding a lantern, light with light, ready to help, ready to love. Probably the most famous version of this painting is in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Perhaps many of you have seen it there. And I have to say, I never really used to like that painting very much. I would do like everyone else and line up and get in that that chapel and hope to see the painting. And then I would stand in front of it and I would think, what am I missing? The colors aren't quite right for me. Jesus is really tall and very fair-skinned and has kind of reddish blonde hair. It's a strange Jesus. I'm glad he's opening the door for me, but I'm not sure that's who I would expect to see. But all that changed and that painting changed in its meaning for me. After a Friday night in summer of 2014, my airplane had stopped in London, and so I wasn't about to just stay at the airport. I was going to get in the city for a day or two, all I could. And so I did that. I got into town for a day or two and did my sort of string of churches and went everywhere I could. And I got early to St. Paul's for Evensong. And I was lucky enough to get a seat up in the great choir in one of the really good seats with the cushions where the the choir usually gets to sit, but um, other people can get in there if you get in there early. So so there I was in this great seat, and the choir was there, and the people were there, and the light was setting. It was just perfect. They sang beautifully. It was a gorgeous service. I left absolutely giddy, happy with this this gift of an ending to a long trip, this absolute blessing of a day and a time. And so it wasn't too hot in London that summer, and so I thought, I'll walk back to where I'm staying. And so I walked and walked and walked, and about 30 minutes later, I reached for my phone. It wasn't in my pocket. My phone had been stolen, or I had lost it, Or as I thought in a moment, no, I took it out of my pocket, turned off the ringer, and put it in the choir stall in St. Paul's Cathedral. And so I prayed. I mean to tell you, I prayed. I prayed, God, help me find my phone. Help me get my phone back. My phone that had my airplane ticket in it. Not only the time I was leaving the next morning, it had my calendar. It had plans. It had contacts. It had everything in that phone. And it was somewhere in the choir of St. Paul's Cathedral. And so I walked back as quickly as I could. London in the summer on a Friday night was like Times Square in New York City. There's no use getting a cab. So I walked and walked and walked back to an entirely closed cathedral. I finally found one security guard, and that lady was very nice, but she said, I think you'll have to wait till Lost and Found opens on Monday morning. I said, isn't there something else I could do? And she said, well, maybe there's another security guard at the back. Try that entrance. So I went back to the back of the cathedral. There was another security guard. He listened to my long saga, and he said, you know, I don't think there's anything we can do. There is another security guard on the side entrance. So I went around to the side entrance, and I found that person. And I, again, gave my long spiel. 
And that person listened and said, you know, I don't think there's anything at all we can do until Monday. But, you know, just in case, check out the security office. It's across the plaza. Look for the construction entrance. Go down two flights of stairs below the street and see if someone's working there. So that's where I went. Went across the plaza, down the steps, under the street, and sure enough, there was a man in a glass box. And so, again, through the glass window, I told him my whole story, my whole saga. He looked at me unimpressed, shook his head, and turned out the lights to the office. But then he opened the door, and he came out of the office, and he said, follow me. And so I followed him, and we went through passage after passage as door was opened and closed underground through an underground loading dock um, by these enormous crated chandeliers that were about to be sent out, by huge vases and lecterns and all sorts of furniture not being used currently, rolled up carpets. We went through this subterranean museum as we were making our way through hallway after hallway, tunnel after tunnel. Finally, we went up some steps, a door opened, and boom, we're in the nave of St. Paul's Cathedral. Just a few lights were on, and he said, see if your phone is where you think you left it. (laughs) I run up to the choir, sure enough, there it was. I could have hugged the man. I offered him money, and he said, no, 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 we're on camera, I'll lose my job. You can't give me money. I wrote lots of thank you notes later. But I also learned something. As I made my way through that almost dark cathedral, I didn't think to look in the north transept to see the Holman Hunt painting, Light of the World. But the next time I go back, I'm going to go to that painting and thank the image there of Jesus with an open door. I'm probably going to venerate it much like one would an icon. My prayer was silly and selfish and stupid. I'd lost a cell phone. Who cares, really? But I hope, I pray that when I have larger worries, that when my prayers are deeper and higher and holier, prayers for health and healing, prayers for a direction or discernment, prayers for you all, prayers for family, prayers for world, I hope I'll remember to, again, ask God honestly and directly and boldly, but then be open to all the doors that might be opened. Some will be closed, surely, but there will be other doors, doors that are represented by doctors and nurses, by healing and helping professionals, by consultants, by family and friends and old ones and children. When I lost my phone that time, I kept knocking on doors. I persisted. I risked looking dumb, looking like the worst American tourist imaginable, looking completely helpless. But doors eventually opened, and boy, did they ever open. I love that when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he does two things. He prays first from his heart, in all honesty, God, take this cup of suffering from me. He is honest. He's from the gut. He asks for what he wants. He knocks on the door. And yet, there's the second part of the prayer. Jesus gets to that place of deep belief that some of us may not always get to, but he gets there to be able to pray honestly, and yet not my will, Lord, but yours. Your will be done. That's what it means, I think, for Christ to take us by the hand and help us knock. 
He opens the door himself. We don't need to worry about how we pray or or what we say or whether we get tongue-tied or whether it's overly selfish. The Holy Spirit sorts all that out. God wants more than anything that we knock and that we step through the door when it's opened. May we pray faithfully. May we pray boldly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.